I've got Ari Graham here to discuss the WNBA coaching and GM carousel, and more specifically, the hiring of Latricia Trammell in Dallas. And then later, we'll have Alexa Philippou of ESPN join us. The Locked On Women's Basketball Podcast starts now. You are Locked On Women's Basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello there and welcome to Locked on Women's Basketball. I'm Jackie Powell and I'm one of your Friday hosts this fall. I cover the New York Liberty here at The Next. I help out with our social media strategy and I've covered women's basketball nationally at different places like Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated, W Slam and elsewhere. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. I've got Ari Graham with me here, but before we get into what we're going to discuss, just want to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code LOCKEDON. That's prizepicks.com, promo code LOCKEDON. All right, so on today's show, first here with Ari, we're going to talk about this WNBA coaching and GMing carousel, and more specifically, we're going to break down the move that the Dallas Wings just made in hiring former LA Sparks assistant Latricia Trammell. And then later in the show, we'll have on Alexa Philippou to reflect on this carousel, but also then to discuss her latest profile on the Cavender Twins. So, Ari, welcome to the show. Um, First thing I want to ask you is, what is your reaction to all of this coaching news this week? Well, I like that it is coming out all at once. Um, you know, you got the the lottery coming up <laughs> next month. So it's good that they are making these moves and trying to get everything, you know, settled. I mean, it keeps us busy, but it's been fun. Yes. Yes, it does. It's so interesting that this all happened like the week before the college season kicks off. And as you mm. said, the lottery is next week. Mm. So, and I know Lynn Dunn was sort of like, We want to have our head coach buy the lottery. Initially, she said by October, but Mm. then I think she realized, oh, no, I need to spend some more time on this. But it's been a lot. I mean, Cheryl Reeve, she re-signed with the Lynx, a five-year deal. She's now the president of basketball operations. So Cheryl is not on the carousel. Uh -uh. But Latricia Trammell, who was with the Los Angeles Sparks for, I believe, four seasons? Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, 2019 22. Aha. Mm-hmm. She is very much so on the carousel, and she hopped off the carousel in Dallas. And so, Mary, something else I want to ask you is do you think. Latricia Trammell, or LT for short, do you think she makes sense for the Dallas Wings? LT, definitely. She does make sense. But what I want to ask is, did she truly step off the carousel or did she just hop on to another one in Dallas just because of, you know, all of the coaching changes? But I think she might actually have a real opportunity to make things, you know, work and, you know, stay there and hopefully fulfill her three-year contract. So, yes, right now, I think it is the best decision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so funny that you said hop on to another one because Mm -hmm. you wrote a great piece where back in October where you talked about 
the past head coaches that mm-hmm. have existed for the Dallas Wings since they've moved to Dallas. You highlighted their their strengths and their weaknesses, why it worked, why it didn't. Mm-hmm. And I think something you also mentioned was this idea of how the wings are constructed. That mm-hmm. there's, especially right now, they have so much talent. But Vicky Johnson just couldn't find a way to, I guess, maximize or use all of it. Mm-hmm. So based on what you know about LT, what do you think makes her in a unique position to be able to try to start maximizing all of this talent? Well, I mean, first, I think she's going to have to build trust and uh, with her, with the players immediately. One of the things that was missing is that, you know, some of the players didn't have a good rapport and she's going to have to get the trust of the entire team. I believe that she will be able to utilize the roster in the best way from top to bottom. Um, with the way things were constructed in LA, you know, you had your starters and then the bench wasn't as strong. I think that's the opposite here in Dallas. So, you know, being able to do that and, you know, keep LA as one of the top defensive teams, uh, that's going to be really good here in Dallas. And obviously that is an area for growth in Dallas, as you said, defense. I mean, the Wings had one of the top offenses in the league, mm-hmm. but the reason why they stayed at that 500 mark was because they just at times couldn't defend even some of the weaker teams in the league. I mean, I remember there was a game toward the end of the season where the feet against the fever, the, the wings won. I think you know exactly the one I'm talking about. Yeah. The fever were down. I don't remember how many points. And then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They yeah, came back and, and, and the wings, I think were able to win in overtime, but it's yeah. like the wings are a playoff team. That mm-hmm. shouldn't be happening. No, it shouldn't. But that's the lack of focus. And with defense, like, you know, it's just a mindset. And once, things get a little tough for the wings or they fall down. It's really hard for them to recover without that defensive effort. Like Indiana should have never been able to come back and push them in that game. For sure. And so when you talk about defense, I think something I've learned in covering basketball for a few years now is that defense is a lot about Mm buy-in. And so I think what I've learned about LT is that she has this superpower where she teaches players in a certain way to understand why defense is important. So I guess what I want to know from you is what do you think she can accomplish with some of those stars? Like I I want to come out and say it with Enrique Gumbawale, someone who hasn't been um, known to defend at a high level and even sometimes, you know, would kick the basketball, would get those technicals. Based on what you know about LT, how do you think that's going to all work? Or, or what type of rapport do you think LT needs to establish with Enrique? Well, I mean, based off of Enrique's tweet, she believes that, you know, they're going up in the right direction. Um, I mean, LT has been able to do it with players like Candace Parker, who was better known for offense at the later stage in her career. Um, I think having done that is going to look really good in, for Enrique and make her think, yeah, you know, I got to get on this defensive thing. Same thing with the rest of the team. You got Tierra McCowan that she can probably make outstanding. And she just wasn't utilized enough, but LT is going to make that different. The one question I have about um, Tierra is when we watched those LT run Sparks defensive units, she'd have more mobile bigs in there. Like mm-hmm. I think Izzy Harrison is going to be unlocked in an mm-hmm. LT system. And so I just wonder maybe, because as we watched this past season with Liz Cambage, LT's defense wasn't really gelling. Mm-hmm. But maybe the difference here is, she'll get some more buy-in from, you know, still a young player in Tierra who is, you know, an up-and-coming star and who seems to really want to win. So that's something I'm curious about. I don't know if you've given thought to that. As far as better utilizing Izzy? 
well, just how Tierra might fit into an LT defense that was more predicated on players being a bit more athletic rather than, you know, a a dominant post. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Whenever McCown was bodied up uh, this past season, it was very difficult for her to score and get those rebounds. But what I think LT will be able to do, like you said, she'll be able to unlock Izzy. And when those more mobile bigs come and Izzy comes in, you know, she can be a huge difference, whether it's with rebounding or her scoring. Uh, it's just that this past season, she doesn't, she didn't have that opportunity or at least a consistent opportunity, especially when, you know, Tierra was still working her way into the program. And something else that I'm really looking forward to with LT on the wings is the team having more of a succinct identity. I think a lot of us asked throughout the year, we were like, okay, there's a lot of talent here. The wings are, they're, they're going to be a good team, but the main down, one of the main downfalls was what did, how did they like to play? We didn't really understand. There were these multiple identities. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm curious from you, what, how do you think the wings having a, I don't want to say simpler, but a more Mm -hmm unified and streamlined identity how will that change things for this team it'll change it dramatically I mean if you know who you are it's going to be what's going to take you all the way through the end of the season I mean you can't have all of these changing pieces changing roles especially with you know it being so short Um, I think LT is just going to be able to to be able to better fit those pieces absolutely absolutely definitely and I think before I let you go, Ari, I think the final thing that I want to ask you, in it's about the the kicker in your piece. And and folks, go on the nexthoops.com and and read this. We'll have this piece in the show notes. But you basically laid out a couple of the factors that you thought you needed a Dallas Wings head coach to have. And so we've discussed a lot of those already. You wrote, you know, push players to the best of their abilities, all players, not just a select few. We covered that. You wrote, uh, round the troops up and get the team to recenter and not fall apart when things get tough. I mean, that's sort of the buy-in that we've spoken about. LT is known to have so much energy, and I think that's going to really help the wings. But this final one, I really want to get your thoughts on. You wrote, Whichever coach comes in needs to make the wings more attractive for veteran presences. Uh-huh. I'm curious if you think LT checks off that box and why. I think she just does just based off of this experience she had in LA. She was able to work with some really good veterans. I mean, especially Candace Parker and you know Neko Gumake. So um, one way that's gonna that's one way that is gonna be attractive just because of where she's coming from. And it's not you know just yeah. I'm sorry, just from based from where she's coming from and working with those players. It'll be really interesting to see how many folks from LA LT is able to bring over. If, if that's possible, does Brittany Sykes, who uh, she's a very good relationship with LT and mm-hmm. is a defensive leader, mm-hmm. is that a possibility? We'll have to see. I, if it is, having Alicia Gray and Brittany Sykes out there defending with Kayla Thornton is going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. So um, hopefully you should be able to bring someone like that. Another thing that could probably do it is that the Athletes Unlimited is here in Dallas coming up. So it's an opportunity for different players to see the city, you know, talk to different Wings players. And let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Ari, thank you so much uh, for joining us. And we can't wait to see what the rest of this coaching and GMing carousel is going to look like. Mm-hmm. We can't wait to see what Dallas does in free agency. It's going to be some really fascinating months to come. So thank yeah. you so much for joining the program. All right. Thanks for having me. Coming up, we are going to welcome Alexa Philippou back to the show. But first... Is there a way that I could have projected that Alyssa Thomas would finish the WNBA Finals with two straight triple-doubles? The answer to that question, of course, is a resounding yes. 
And that answer is via prize picks, of course. With prize picks and with the college season approaching, you can pick two to five players. And if they go score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on an entry. Does Caitlin Clark rack up a triple-double? What about Haley Jones? We're going to see very shortly. With prize picks, you don't compete against others, but it's just you against the other projections that are available. Prize picks offers projections on any sport you watch. This includes, yes, men play basketball in the NBA, the NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, the WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, which I think includes and means Euro League, cricket, and more. It takes just a minute to make an entry. It's that easy. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit matchup to $100 with promo code LOCKDOWN. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter promo code LOCKEDON and sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. For your second listen today, check out Locked On Sports Today. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. So, I am joined by the one and only Alec Philippou of ESPN to chat about a very fascinating trip and story she just wrote. Um, But before we chat about her latest story, we want to talk about the ever so moving coaching carousel. We just started, or we just ended rather, talking about the hiring of Latricia Trammell to the Dallas Wings with Ari Graham. But what do you know, there are other hirings to briefly touch upon. So today it was reported by Howard Megdahl and Rachel Galligan that Chris or uh, Christy Sides will be the Indiana Fever's new head coach or she's expected to be. And the Lynx themselves announced that Cheryl Reeve got a contract extension, which I'm sure surprised no one. But what may have surprised folks is she now has a new title. She is now president of basketball operations, not just a general manager. So Alexa, what are, how did you react to both of these pieces of news? Yeah. So um, first of all, thanks for having me. And if you see me like looking off in the distance or if you hear weird noises, that is from my dog, Callie. Um, just making sure she doesn't get into too much trouble while I'm recording this. So um, to answer your question, though, I was not super shocked by the Cheryl Reeve news, but I do think there was a decent amount of maybe speculation that maybe some other teams would go poach her. So the fact that she's staying put in Minnesota for now, and also now is uh, the basketball or president of basketball operations. So I'm really curious when we talk with her in less than an hour on uh, her press conference, if she could explain why that move was something that she thought was important for her. So Cheryl staying in Minnesota on its head, not too surprising at all. But yeah, Christy, Christy sides in and Indiana, Indiana is an interesting move. And I'm really curious, you know, if I could, you know, be a fly on the wall, like if that was how their whole process went about in Indiana, because they've had a lot of time to really search for 
their new head coach. And if this was someone that they really were seeking from the beginning, if they were looking at some of these other, some of these other coaches that were on the carousel and then have since taken jobs. But um, I remember actually, I interviewed her from Ryan Howard's story. Uh, Ryan Howard's respect and a lot of other players respect. So her getting this head coaching opportunity, I do think it's really interesting so far this cycle and it could continue potentially depending on who Connecticut hires that we've seen a lot of assistants that have been in the league for a while, get their first head coaching jobs and um, getting that opportunity to really show what they're about. Um, so people who've been around the league for a while and we'll have to see, you know, just because you're a good assistant doesn't make you a good head coach. But I do think that these are very deserving candidates who've been around the league, who've shown that they are well-respected around the league, who are now getting these opportunities. So how it pans out, we'll have to see. But um, potential trend there to keep an eye on, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we notice once again, um, another woman to lead an organization. And I think what stuck out to me, at least when I researched uh, sides a little bit, is where she came from in the Atlanta dream and what she was hired to do with Atlanta. So sides is known to be very bought in defensively. And so when you think about Lynn Dunn and her priorities and how one of her priorities is to be an excellent defensive team, that's something that sticks out to Lynn Dunn. Uh, Lynn also, I think, spoke on I think it was a video that the Indiana Fever's broadcast team did. And Lynn talked about how she wanted someone with just tons of energy because she has these young players and that's what young players need. And I went back to the press release and you should take a look at it. Mm. When the Dream announced Christy Sides as their assistant, Tanisha Wright's quote on Sides talked about the amount of energy that she brings to the game. So I was just like, hmm, check, check. So based on the four candidates that were in Howard's reporting from this morning, I thought she was the best candidate. But anyway, we digress. And yes, I'm also very excited and curious to hear from Cheryl very soon. But why don't we transition into what the, the main attraction for the rest of our discussion is? And the main reason I have Alexa on the pod today is to talk about this in-depth story that she just wrote on Haley and Hannah Cavender. And what's interesting about this story is... I knew about the twins before they became the twins. And the reason I did was because at the next, we have our managing editor and our Mystics beat reporter and Ivy League beat reporter, Jen Hatfield, specializes in telling stories about families and about siblings and about all sorts of relationships like that, relatives really. And so back in November of 2020, Jen wrote this story called TikTok, It's Time for a Cavender Comparison. <laughs> and this story wasn't even really about who they were on the internet. It was more about how they played at uh, Fresno State. And it was about how really their styles, or not styles, more their outputs of play were quite similar and how interesting that was because they were twins or they're identical twins and their st statistics were almost identical. So her story wasn't even really about what was to come. We weren't even in the NIL era. So I just thought, oh, these are, these are twins that are really good at a mid-major school, you know, who knows if we'll hear about them, you know, just sort of an interesting story about siblings. But oh no, <laughs> oh no, the, the Cavenders, you could argue, are pioneers of a movement. And that is something we'll discuss later. But Alexa, where I want to begin with you 
is what drew you to their story and what do you think matters about their story? So I was actually approached by my editor with the idea of doing a story on the twins after it was announced that they were going to transfer to Miami. And the way that we thought of the story for basically then until even going into the trip a few weeks ago was they're now transferring to this power five school. They've made all this money off of NIL. How's that transition going in every phase of life? They're playing power five basketball for the first time. Like, are they going to be able to contribute and and all the kind of ramifications of that. So that was more so what the angle was going into the trip, at least as a starting point. But as a reporter, you always are open-minded and that the storyline can change once you get there and you're on the ground reporting. And so what I think the story turned into was, was how people who like to you come up with these assumptions about them, um, about whether or not they're serious about basketball or who they are based off their social media, which obviously they put a lot of time and effort and business savvy into growing their brand on social media. Um, that doesn't tell the full story. So part of that was that everyone I spoke with at Miami was very insistent that they are these dedicated basketball players that are raising the culture at Miami, which already... You know, people really respect Katie Meyer and what she's done there. So that was a very telling uh, argument that they had. And um, and then there's a lot of other parts to their lives that they maybe aren't posting about as much or open about as much, but are important to them. And um, maybe like in this era of social media, people just tend to have preconceptions about who influencers are, who people are just in general when they post on social media, but that doesn't always tell the whole story. So I think that line of, of thinking of just trying to be open-minded about who people are and not, you not assume that you know everything about everyone's life, whether or not it's someone that you're went to high school with or know from work that's posting social media or even an influencer is that, that was what I hope a lot of people take away. Cause I thought that was a really interesting message from people who have built this brand on social media that they're also trying to say, Hey, like we're doing this and we're, we're showcasing part of who we are, but it's not the whole story. Right. So, um, but I think like big picture too, sorry, I'm just checking on the dog. Um, (laughs) I was like, where'd she go? But big picture too, this is a story about this NIL era and who's benefiting from it, why they're benefiting from it, what this means for women's sports and certain athletes within women's sports. And there's still so many unanswered questions we have about what this era will look like long-term, but there's no doubt the Kavner twins are two of the people who have benefited most from NIL. And even though they're not the top athletes in their field, which they're not trying to pretend they are, it's very interesting to see them making seven figures. And what does that mean about NIL and branding and, and these opportunities for these athletes when some of the, some of these people benefiting from these new policies aren't necessarily the top athletes of their sport, but I don't necessarily know if that's a bad thing either. I think that's just, maybe an unexpected consequence and it is what it is. I definitely think the NIL era and the social media era is a double-edged sword. And I think we can talk about it like this aid and this help to the women's sports movement, but we can also talk about how it affects people in some pretty serious ways. And I think something that I would love for you to expand upon is you talked about how, I believe it was Hannah in particular, who maybe has learned a lot about mental health through going through this whole thing and becoming, you know, one of the twins. And so I'm curious if you can tell me and and the listeners what that journey was like from her or for her rather, what types of things did the two of you discuss when it came to maybe her having to learn a little bit more about her mental health at, at a younger age? I think, well, the way she framed it to me is that this is something that um, she's struggled with, you know, throughout her life to an extent. 
Um, I think what she framed as like hate comments and she specifically mentioned, and I think this is very typical when you see twins, but when there are comments that are comparing the sisters, like if there are comments that say, Haley's prettier, Haley's a better basketball player, then now having to be online all the time, and maybe some of that wasn't just online, but obviously now it's amplified more. Um, they, they, I remember one of them said like, we're not going to lie. Like we're humans. Like we see the comments, like it's impossible not to see them. So I think that was something that she said has impacted her. And the way that she, what I thought was interesting is that she's, I could see the struggle and how she's explaining it to me because she said that both of them want to advocate for like mental health and mental health awareness and support, but Mm -hmm. talking about their own issues it can feel like, you know, they, they understand how blessed and privileged they are and how many opportunities they have. So they don't want to come across as like, oh, you have all this, like, how do you still have these issues? Because, you know, you have all these blessings and these opportunities in so many ways. It shouldn't be the pain Olympics in my mind, like, just no. because they have these opportunities and that they've made a million dollars or whatever, they're still humans. They still can have these real mental health issues whether or not it's pre-existing from all this or, you know, as a result of all their fame. So um, I could tell that they, and I think they might want to talk about it more in this upcoming podcast they have coming out, mm-hmm. um, which is going to allow them to talk about more NIL issues from the student athletes perspective. But I could tell that that was still a very real like thing that they were processing, especially Hannah. And, you know, it's, I could see like why, they would feel that they could be judged in those ways. But at the same time, like, I think this also, the more they open up, the more kind of real they are, the more that it doesn't just appear that they're these kind of figures on, you know, on your phone. It's like, they're real humans. So sorry, Callie's like absolutely eating the furafatory right now. Um, I will address that after I finish my point, but what was I going to say? That they're humans. They're humans. Um, yeah, I think I think they try their best to tune out the outside noise and focus on, they were very big on like, we can't let, we know the external noise is there and we know what they're saying, but we can't define our, our own self-worth by what others say about us or think about us. And it has to come from us and our inner circle, including people that, know who we really are, knew, have known who we are like before all this fame. So that was, a, that was a, a maturity. I thought that was really interesting, but I'm sure it's still like an evolving process because it's not all black and white where you feel that way. 24-7, like 365 days a year, I'm sure there's some moments where that outside noise becomes more prominent and harder to tune out. But I, I do think like people in the spotlight, regardless of if it's, it's funny, I've been thinking a lot about this because of Taylor Swift too and her new album, but people in the spotlight, like they do have these real consequences that they have to deal with, even if we think they have everything going for them. And sorry, I have to go. Callie. Okay. Well, Alexa takes care of Callie for a moment, who she will make a brief appearance um, when we finish up this segment. But it's so funny. Oh, she bit off that toy. Oh. That's- I just wanted to show people this is. Funny. It looked like an oven mitt for a moment. But anyway. While Alexa fixes that toy or puts it somewhere, the reason I was so demonstrative with a facial expression just now and put my hands toward my face, although those just listening, not watching, you didn't see it, but I did. Alexa, when you brought up Taylor Swift, or rather when you brought up the fact that the twins don't want to talk about their issues because then they don't want people to think, oh, well, they're so privileged and they shouldn't be complaining about X, Y, Z. What I immediately thought of was Taylor Swift and a moment, listen, you've got a Lady Gaga stand talking about Taylor Swift. This is a huge historic moment on this podcast. Yes, it is. Um, But... I am making a musical reference, which is very much so my brand. (laughs) In the music video for Antihero, there's a scene, obviously, where she, Taylor Swift, is looking at a scale. And so that moment has created such a backlash. 
because of that same notion, which is, oh, well, she is quote unquote conventionally beautiful. Why is she having these body issues or any body dysmorphia? And so what I'm learning, and I guess what the twins have to, or on their own journey to learn, is that embracing your own problems is okay. And that's what, as you said, Alexa, that's what shows how human you are. And I also, I mean, I remember, um, again, another pop culture reference, Lily Reinhardt of Riverdale is another actress who has very serious anxiety when it comes to acne, when it comes to her, her body shape. And I at first thought the same thing. I was like, oh my God, but Lily Reinhardt is so beautiful. But it's not, it's, we cannot unvalidate people's problems. Um, and hopefully they will find the strength to to validate that themselves anyway <laughs> well can i make one point real quick oh okay yes i'm not the mental health expert here but i feel like it's different if someone goes about their lives saying like my problems are like the work like not even just saying but maybe acting as if their problems are mm-hmm. bigger than all these other world problems like you know what i'm saying like i think sometimes if you have this self-awareness where you can acknowledge Yes, I have like, I mean, I'm even speaking from personal experience here. Like, yes, I am. I have a lot that's going right in my life for these reasons at the same. And yes, I know that there's worse off, worse off things in the world. But at the same time, I'm dealing with this and this is hard for me. Like, I think if you can acknowledge both, Mm -hmm. then that's a really good place to be in. Obviously, if like people, I don't know, not to like also discredit people who are going through so serious things that they can't see the bigger picture, because that's true, too. But um, I do think it would be different if they, for example, were like, our lives are so hard and like we're dealing with this, like, you know, like if they really like if not just that day, but like anyone played the victim card as if they're like the utmost victim, then you have a little bit more like, oh, well, it's not exactly quite like that, but. I don't know if that made any sense, but what I'm trying to say is I think it's important to have, if you have the acknowledgement and self-awareness that you still have problems, like, yes, maybe like the world has bigger problems or other people are dealing with other more serious things, but that doesn't invalidate your own. Then I think that's like a happy medium, but like that, that shouldn't mean that you can't talk about your own. Yeah. I mean, I think um, a form of, of self awareness, a form of self care, And just to add on to what you just said, I almost find, so the twins were athletes first and they were influencers Mm -hmm. second. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about athletes. They are, athletes are types of entertainers. Although they're students, some of them are students, they're they're still to a degree entertaining. Um, You know, not as technically as the pros are because that level, well, actually, I guess you could say with NIL, the Cavenders are, are getting money for entertaining people. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's, it's two different types of entertainment and two really different sides to them, which I think you did a brilliant job in this piece of trying to explain what those different facets of who they are are. And so that gets me to my final question of this segment before we bring on a special guest, which is, I guess, what surprised you the most about this this depth that you learned about them? And from what you were able to see, what are some ways that you can characterize them as people? So I think... Well, they were incredibly easy to talk to. This was probably something that didn't come across in the story, but like even just at a human level, I found them like very easy to talk to. Like they were even asking questions about my life, which not that it's ever about you as a journalist, but mm-hmm. you're always like, oh, like I'm not used to this. Like, you know, you just, you want it to be about them, but they seemed just genuine in that. 
so that was something that I, that was, cause I just didn't know like how they would interact with, you know, they're used to, I'm sure media all the time and reporters and, and how that would go. But um, I mean, in terms of basketball, like Shanice Johnson coming out and saying like, these are some of the hardest working people, some of the most competitive people I've been around in a long time. And they're effing ballers and all this stuff coming from Shanice Johnson of all people along with everything that even Katie Meyer and the Miami teammates had to say, I thought that was like, that's kind of when I was like, Oh, like there for like, if Shanice Johnson's saying this, Shanice Johnson is so well-respected and the former pro, then I was like, they must be for real, you know? And um, I think this was maybe in the podcast I did the other day, but like even seeing some of that firsthand, like how often they were trying to get into film and, um, and stuff that they were doing even before practice to sharpen their minds and to like the, that desire to get better. Um, that was something that I just didn't, not that I thought they were the opposite. I just didn't know that as much about them, like how serious they were about basketball and how that was playing out like on the ground on a day-to-day basis. And then one of my favorite parts of the story was just them talking about how much they loved where their mom's family lives in Michigan. And that, mm-hmm. I asked them this offhand comment, like basically right before I went to the airport, like if they could be anywhere without any basketball responsibilities or NIL things that they had to attend to, like where would they be? And they both said they'd be there. Like Hannah wanted to be on a lake listening to country music on a boat surrounded by family. Haley said she wants to be eating her Aunt B's cookies, apparently oatmeal butterscotch cookies. And they just are such big family people. And that's where their mom's family is. And that's where they feel like people love them for who they are the most. And that was just like a really cool moment because I think it's not necessarily something they were posting all the time about, which is not a bad thing at all, right? It just shows that they have this side of them that that exists and that's you know very fulfilling to them. So I think we all have those places maybe where we love to be, whether it's surrounded by people we love or in a place where we can just unplug. And for them, like it's a great combination of that. So I thought that was a really cool, and I loved. Like I got to kind of contrast that with where they were when I went to them to the shoot with them because they're talking about this like incredible place where there's barely any internet service where they 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 love and it was in in the middle of this really nice shoot in Miami for Champs where you know their nil um, partner and stuff and it was like a really cool thing to see that they can have both sides a lot of this I kept thinking back to was like it doesn't have to be either or with people right it can be both and you can be really good at branding and NIL and and social media. And you can love those moments where it's just you and your family and no phones are there. And you can be really serious about basketball and getting in for extra shots and film study and whatnot. So it doesn't have to be all kind of this binary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. People are, people are onions. They have depth and layers. Yes. So we are going to, take a bit of a break here. Um, But coming up, we are going to look forward and try to think about the types of precedents that the Cavender twins set for the future of not only women's college basketball, but how they've impacted what life in the pros might look like as well, and what potential storytelling might look like down uh, in the future as well. But before we do, I do want to um, bring a bring along a, a guest or bring on a guest to uh, Locked On. Um, she's uh, a very special person, or she's not even a person. Um, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> uh, let's let's bring on our, our special guest. Okay, everyone. Well, um, the reason why I had to run off in the middle of a answer before is this little girl. This is my puppy, Callie. She right now is a little camera shot. Oh, okay. Thank you. She's waving. She's waving. She had to be tied up on her leash because she was getting into trouble when I was trying to talk with Jackie. But she says hi. Say hi. Hi. Hi, Callie. I don't know if you can see her like little yeah. hanging out. Yeah. She, is she napping or is she just sort of. She's just getting belly rubs. I don't know. She's just relaxing. She's yeah. just being dramatic because she's mad I, I put her on the leash, but she should have <laughs> eaten her toy. That's how. <laughs> and she has this brand new big bed that 
really likes. So don't don't feel too sorry for her. Yes, welcome, Callie, to Locked on Women's Basketball. I'm sure we will see you again. Um, She's but- the real brains behind the operation. She knows everything. <laughs> yes, Callie. Callie knows all and and can can be human like at times, although she's mm-hmm. not a person. <laughs> anyway, um, and we're back. So, oh, we we hear the guest making some some noise. Anyway, um, for our final segment, Alexa. As I mentioned before, I want to go forward thinking with you here. And the first question I want to ask you is, what will define the legacy of the the Cavender twins? I mean, I know that sounds insane because they're 21 years old and they haven't played in a March Madness tournament yet. But try to answer the question the best Mm -hmm. you can. Well, I think basketball-wise, there's still a lot to be determined because mm-hmm. I did check their stats. I didn't get to watch it, but from the exhibition game yesterday, mm-hmm. Hannah played uh, 22 minutes and had six assists. She didn't score a ton, um, but Haley was one of four players in double figures and started played a team-high 23 minutes. So that's an initial indication of like what sort of impact they could have at Miami. But still, I mean, that's an exhibition and how they play in a very competitive ACC, there's still a lot to be determined that way. They did have really successful careers at Fresno State, so I don't think that should be, I guess, discounted. My favorite stat of this whole thing is that Haley went 109 for 112 from the free throw line, which is a NCAA uh, single-season record of 97.3%. Like, And she was playing like 37 minutes a game. So that was last year. But yeah, how how they close out their college careers, I think is still kind of up in the air. They could come back for a fifth year, which they said is to be determined if they'd want to do that. But um, I think if they can help Miami win games, that would be, and obviously get to the NCAA tournament, which was what they've said is the reason they transferred. That would be a successful basketball legacy for, for them. But they still, I think what was something I also really liked is as someone who in high school worked really hard at basketball, but like, wasn't ever really the best. Like sometimes the journey is more important or like, shouldn't be discounted even if the results aren't great. So like, even if they're not like ACC player of the year or whatever, or like, I don't know, like I, I just related to that aspect of like, when you love the game so much and you put everything you have into it and that still can be so fulfilling, even if it's not the exact outcome you want so we'll we'll see in a basketball standpoint but I think from the NIL perspective they've shown that you don't need to be a Paige Beckers or an Aaliyah Boston or a Haley Jones or a Cam Brink to be incredibly successful at NIL that if you're really dedicated and business savvy and have the right team around you and I, I do think that part was I tried to make clear in my article too like we can also talk about a lot of the forces that helped them become popular, but they went about it in a way where they really treated their NIL like a business and that's allowed them to become millionaires. So you can do all that and you don't have to be the most elite at your at basketball or at your sport and still be incredibly successful. And if that means that also is an example for other women's basketball players, again, I think this is all, if like other women's basketball players can follow in those sorts of footsteps, then like that's to me a net positive because women's athletes should have the opportunity as, you know, college sports athletes to take advantage of all this. So they've shown that you can really monetize a brand and audience um, and really make millions off of it, but how that brand looks in five years is still to be determined. I really am curious to see how these big NIL athletes, wh- what being able to to have these opportunities at the college level, what what that's going to mean once they get out of college for either be able, being able to make money or professional opportunities or there's so many different areas you can take that. But this is such a new space. We don't know how the Cavender twin story ends, either even in the NIL perspective. I mean, I'm going to make a prediction here. Okay. Not about the Cavenders, but just about NIL athletes in general. 
I think there's going to be multiple paths in that you have athletes that are able to continue being athletes when maybe they couldn't have if NIL didn't exist. People or overseas teams or professional teams may want someone because of the following they've developed. So that's one path. I think the other path is this is giving people and not just athletes. I mean, in your story, I learned about the other interests of the twins, this, this interest when it comes to fitness and nutrition. I mean, those are sports adjacent, but that's not specifically sports. Mm-hmm. This could be sort of the, the connections that are needed to launch something that is very different from the sports world. I mean, one of the twins could go into the entertainment industry. Who, who even knows? But the, the point is, it's NIL has given these young people a foot in the door mm-hmm. a bit earlier in life. And to be honest, a chance. Because when you talk about women's sports and female athletes, we talk about the whole 4 or 5% of coverage. I mean, NIL is basically saying, okay, well, we're going to find ways around those coverage issues. And that's sort of what we're seeing. Uh, the, the lack of known investment has been countered in a way by these NIL deals. Mm-hmm. But so that, I guess, leads me to my next question for you, which is this idea of how this could maybe change the calculus for players when it comes to pros going overseas, especially when it sounds like Haley would take an opportunity to go pro and play in the W if she's drafted. Yeah. I mean, this is important even regards to your last question and answer and um, response to my answer, but Haley was the one who said, I love basketball and I would, I'm the one who's going to take any opportunity to continue playing. Obviously she could change her mind, but Hannah was more so along the lines of this could be my last year. I also like, am really open-minded about all these different business ventures. She mentioned real estate too. So there's a lot of different avenues that these, whether or not it's pro actually continuing to play or starting the seeds of a future business or entrepreneurial endeavor that like these athletes just could not do before. So I think regardless of which direction you take having multiple pathways and honestly, Haley, I think even brought up that I think they're on their minds. I don't know if it was like the utmost thing on their minds, but it was on their minds that the chances of going pro and the WNBA are so slim. Even if you love basketball, even if you're, a conference player of the year. And even if you make it, we know the salaries are not where they, you know, would be if they were men's basketball players, for example. So the fact that all these opportunities are now there for women's athletes, I think is, is generally a good thing. Now it's hard for me to say how much this changes the Cavenders specifically change, maybe the broader overseas conversation, because to me, the Cavenders are such an outlier. There's Mm. not they're not the norm because they're making seven figures in this space. And the average women's basketball player is probably not making anything close to that. But it's interesting because like they don't theoretically, like maybe there's some people who feel like they need to go overseas because either they don't know what they want to do outside of basketball or because they love basketball. They want to try and make it work or because they it's a source of income at the end of the day too now for the cavenders theoretically they're not going to have to do that because of the money like they have all these other streams of revenue that they've tried to implement into their life and they have a fairly diverse group of them so that really gives them options so i think if Haley were to do it a lot of it would be because she genuinely loves basketball and wants to do it but what what does that mean for the average women's basketball player, I'm not entirely sure. I think that is, again, something once we see how NIL pans out, how it changes over the next few years, 
maybe more players, okay, maybe you don't need to make seven figures to be able to make a different decision about whether or not you should go overseas because you built up your brand and you have these NIL opportunities. Maybe it's, it's just enough that you're launching yourself at a better position when you're a pro. And so you don't need to do overseas or if you do, maybe you don't have to go as long or there's just more options. But I think that is a really interesting way to look at it. And I don't know if we fully know the answer yet because we're only a year in. How, do you see it similarly or do you see it panning out differently? Well, I think what I think about now is looking at the, I'm going to call them the pre-NIL generation. And so mm. to me, that's uh, Sabrina Ionescu and Asia Wilson. Mm. And that those two, I believe, I know Sabrina for a fact has never gone overseas. And when we were together in Vegas, I asked her if she has any plans to. She said flat out no. Um, with Asia Wilson, has she been overseas before? She, I don't think she. I think, I think she was in China. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google this. She maybe wasn't overseas, or was overseas yeah. for she maybe. Played, she played in China after her rookie season, according okay. to Wikipedia. Very, you know, reliable, but. So it was a brief, a very brief overseas career for Asia Wilson. So those two in particular are folks that are more, they don't want to go overseas and they found ways in which to make sure that they don't have to. And so I just wonder if that's the pre-NIL generation, what is the NIL generation going to look like and what type of privilege will be revealed when it comes to, I guess, looking at who's going overseas, who's not, when that number starts to decrease of players going overseas. Um, mm. We could even talk about prioritization, but that's even such Pandora's box and such a can of worms. But I, I happen to believe that this will have a great impact in maybe five to 10 years on what the quote unquote status quo for professional women's basketball was and sort of is. Yeah. I mean, well, Asia and Sabrina, again, are they, to me, a lot of this comes down to, are they the rule? Are they the norm? Are they the exception? They're number one picks. Correct. They are they were college stars who maybe were able to, even before NIL became a thing, were very well known. So to me, the equivalent to them is, I actually was thinking about this when you sent me the questions, is Paige going to ever go overseas? Probably doesn't have to if she doesn't want to. Aaliyah Boston probably doesn't have to if she doesn't want to. Now we know people go overseas for a lot of reasons. A lot of people love the experience. A lot of people want to play year round. A lot of people have found it gets, um, it helps their games improve, but I don't know, injury, um, I don't want to say injury prone, but someone who's had a history of injuries, like Paige, might not want to go. But if you're maybe a low first round pick or a second round pick or a third round pick or undrafted, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, another person who has a lot of NIL deals is Deja Kelly. She's probably not going to be number one pick, but maybe she'll set herself up and not need to consider that. Or maybe she will. So, yeah. There's a lot of interesting implications of this. And I'm really curious to see, even if it's outside the Cavenders, who are maybe, you know, you kind of have to say they're their own thing and to some extent, like what people decide from here. From number one picks all the way down to undrafted or third round, second round picks and everything in between. I mean, does Athletes Unlimited become more popular and does it grow and does it attract greater stars? It could. These are all questions that I'm so fascinated by. Well, Alexa, thank you so much for joining me. This was loads and loads of fun. Um, thanks to all of you who are listening for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And join us tomorrow where Hunter Cruz, M. Adler, and Joshua Welch will be back for our WNBA draft-themed show. This week, they'll be previewing as to who are some of the best forwards and centers in the 2023 WNBA draft class. And for your next listen, check out 
the Locked On Sports Today podcast. The biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. This has been Locked On Women's Basketball, and I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful weekend.